Good morning. I saw something I'm going to fix right now. Da -da. Get last I, I could tell this light wasn't on up here. I said, hmm, I'm turning the light on the pulpit on. Dennis tougher than me. He's got better eyes than me or something. But anyway, uh, it is so great that we can be together and what a privilege it is to, to be able to come together with brethren and worship God on this first day of the week. Uh, we do miss uh, several who aren't with us for several different reasons. Uh, sometimes we talk about how close we are. Be close enough to contact them and let them know that uh, we missed them. And I know everyone can't always contact some, but try to contact who you can and uh, just let them know that. And, you know, I am looking forward to, uh, Lord willing, the uh, last Sunday of this month and our friend and family day. I know some of you have already told me stories of people that you've invited and some of the opportunities that God has even given you uh, to uh, offer them invitations and you know I'm a firm believer that God always keeps his uh, promises and Paul said if we'll plant and we'll water guess what the increase isn't up to you and I it's up to God we've got to trust him. God will give the increase now this passage of scripture we're going to look at today there's so much in it so much in just that 19th verse of 2 Timothy chapter 2 and I thought, man, I better just try to move through this verse. But I think there's so much. But I really like that seal. The Lord knows those who are His. The Lord knows those who are His. He knows who they are. Now, the question isn't just does the Lord know us, but the only way the Lord can know us is if we know Him. And I think about that, and I'll mention this real quick. I don't know that I have it later in my lesson or not, but I think about uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Those that are going to deal with the mighty angels in flaming fire are those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel. So we got to know who he is so that we can obey him. And I think about another one. Uh, we've got to believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Indeed, we do. But I want, I want us to break down a few things here and we're going to, I'll try to move through them all. Uh, here in this verse, verse 19, Nevertheless, the New American Standard reads like this, The firm foundation of God stands. The firm foundation of God stands. You know what that means? God said it and that settles it. And it just didn't happen 2,000 years ago and it settled it then, it still settles it today. And it will settle it for eternity. You can just, you can be certain of it. More important, I like to use a phrase sometimes, you can go to the bank, I'm telling you, you can go to the judgment seat with that fact. God's firm foundation stands. Now, being a kid who grew up going to Bible class and church services, I learned this song that is the end of the teaching that Jesus made in the Sermon on the Mount, verse Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and following. And he talks about a wise man and a foolish man. And the wise man, the thing that made the difference in the story, and then we'll get exactly what it means because Jesus tells us, is one cho chose a firm foundation and one took wishy-washy. You know what wishy-washy is? That changes with the times and won't stand the pressure of time. But, I mean, you can just, it will stand true and it will never be moved. 
That is so important. He says the difference is the foolish man is the man who hears. They hear, they go, they come to church services. They hear the word of God, but that's where it stops. The wise man is the one who hears it and then acts upon it, the one who does the will of God. So you think about how important that is. The difference isn't what you know, whether it makes you wise or foolish. The difference is what do you do with what you know? Of course, you have to know the truth, but is there people who know the truth but decide they'll either take out a few things or add a few things to it or ignore it or do it on Sundays, but the rest of the week, they're just like the rest of the world? It's not like this jacket and tie. You know, I put them on, take them off. Christianity, you're closing that thing around the clock 24-7. And so we have to think about that. says firm foundation of God's stands. Knowing a little bit about construction, I'm going to tell you what, there's a lot of important things about the house. I tell people that two most important things about the house is the foundation and the roof. If the roof leaks or the foundation leaks, you've got a problem. You think about how important those two things are. Everything in the middle we can work with. But we've got to make sure and... First and foremost is the foundation. You get the foundation wrong, it's all messed up. Is that true spiritually and religiously? Doctrinally? You got to get the foundation right. So he says, this firm foundation stands. Now I want to mention just a couple of verses to you real quick on that point. Because he uses this type of analogy more than once. Look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I love this verse. I wish we had time to back up and look at a little bit more. But he says, No man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid. You want to know what the foundation is? Which is Christ. The firm foundation stands, which is Christ. What's the foundation? Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. We're the Franklin County, that's because that's where we're at, church of what? Christ, because that's the foundation. Hmm. He is the owner. He paid for it. He paid for it with his own precious blood that was sinless that you and I can't come up with. You know, you look at that. That I always think about that because every time I drive somewhere, I see some other, I'm going to use their term, some other church popping up with some other name. Wow. You know, and I tease with that. You guys know I've told the story before about, well, if I was going to establish a church, we'll, we'll establish a church of the holy pig, and, you know, um, we'll have Reese's peanut butter cups instead of unleavened bread, and, you know, uh, for me, a good cup of coffee. But anyway, uh, you know, you can look at all those things, but that's foolish. That's ridiculous. And, and you look, even almost to state that almost seems blaspheming, doesn't it? And if I really meant it, it would be blaspheming. And I don't want anyone to think that I would, those be fighting words to me here, hold my jacket, because we're going, someone's going, we're going, that's fighting words. It's fighting words definitely on a spiritual level. So he says, I want you to know this foundation that the wise man built his house on is Jesus Christ. You build it on anything else, you're educated. Some of us, we have diplomas, we have degrees. I mean, it's, it's beneficial to us. I get that. But that doesn't make... I guarantee you, my foundation doesn't lie on that. Our occupations. 
Well, I don't know. In America, I think people gave up on occupations. But anyway, uh, you look at that. I'm one of them people, me and Hunter and Lincoln in class today. You know, isn't it amazing in the Bible how much it talks about Christians are to be workers? My dad always said it like this. We don't wear loafers around here. Workers for the Lord. You know, I've met people who they just don't like to work. I kind of like to work. I like to do something and see it finished. You know, something, I don't always like being in the middle of it. I don't like every aspect of it, just like putting down this base trim. I don't like sitting around on the floor and getting up and down. I don't like doing that stuff. I mean, I don't like it near as much, but I like, oh, now all I got left to do is fill in some nail holes and do some caulking, and I'll be glad when it's done. You know, you think about that. Was Jesus happy when his job was finished? And he went to heaven and he was seated at the right hand of God. I guess my job's going to be finished when I'm seated with them, right? We've got to remember that. Jesus is that foundation. Uh, let's do, move over to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. i got a few verses I want to read here. Uh, go to Ephesians 2 and verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Ooh, that's what I want. That means I'm fellow citizens with Peter and Paul, Ananias and Sapphira, Stephen and Timothy, saints. And I belong, and I'm part of God's household. Having been built, listen to this, having been built on the foundation, is this my foundation? Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. What's our foundation? Right there it is. That's the words of the apostles and the prophets and Jesus Christ. And, you know, we don't build like that anymore. We do totally different now. We shoot transits and shoot elevations and all that to build. But in their day and age, they had a cornerstone. It started well with that stone. That stone had to be exactly square and exactly plumb. Because if it leaned a little bit, guess what? If it leans a, in two feet, it leans a quarter of an inch. Guess what it is when it gets 20 fall? It's a leaning tower of Pisa. So you can't have that. And it's, well, if it's out, it just get, goes cattywampus. I don't know if that's a Greek word. No, it goes cattywampus in just a little while. It's bad. So you look at that. I'm telling you, it's all, everything that the apostles and prophets said, all based on the square soundness of what all the foundation is, and that's Jesus Christ. So we always got to remember that. I tell you what, I'm a Christian because of Jesus Christ. I'm a part of the Church of Christ because of Jesus Christ. If I go to heaven, and that's what I'm planning, it's because of Jesus Christ. And I don't know of anything I'd rather talk to people about than Jesus Christ. You know, I talk to people about all kinds. You guys know I like to hunt, things like that. I've got friends who hunt, do stuff. But it's always amazing. That's Caleb and I were talking about that the other day, this annual hog hunt we go on. One of the most enjoyable things about it is getting to spend time in a different setting. Are we, Man, I'm telling you what, we get in some pretty interesting discussions in that eight-hour drive. 16 all the way around. I'm telling you, little Bible gets taught. Little Bible gets discussed. Little application. You know, you don't get to always do that with people of the world because it goes right over their heads. But I think how great that is, Jesus Christ being a cornerstone. Let's go ahead and read the rest of the, 
that uh, chapter anyway, in whom the whole building being fitted together and growing into the holy temple of the Lord, in whom you also being built together into the dwelling of God in the Spirit. It's all based on that foundation. So after that, it took me a little while to get past that firm foundation, didn't it? Of God stands. Having this seal, this seal's on this foundation. This is the seal of that foundation. God knows those who are His. Does God know whether... Let me ask you this right now. Does God know whether or not right now you're faithful and if the time ends you, you're going to heaven? Does He also know if you're not? I don't always know exactly what's going on in your life and you don't always know what's going on in my life. God knows. God knows if I'm right with Him and He knows if I'm not. I can't fool Him. He knows me, I say it like this, from the gizzard out. He knows every single little inch of me, everything. He knows what I think. He knows who I am. He knows everything. God knows those who are His. Now, thinking about that, the Lord knows those who are His. Well, then that also means He knows those who aren't, doesn't it? But He knows, you know what? It's kind of interesting I guess if he knows those who are his, that's more important than knowing those who aren't and in his nearest many he's got to keep track of. Now, I want to look at a few passages that I think are interesting to me anyway um, with this idea of God knows who we are. He knows those who belong to him. Uh, over in, I'll just read real quick, 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 3, but if anyone loves God... He is known by him. If people just knew what it meant to love God. Jesus makes it pretty plain, doesn't he? Jesus says, if you love me, what? Oh, you have a warm, fuzzy feeling. You do what I say. You know, there's a lot of people tell me they love God, but they're not even interested in knowing what the Bible says. Well, then they don't love God. That's impossible. That is an impossibility because if it's possible, then Jesus is a liar. Jesus says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. So we love God, and God knows those who are... He, he knows those who love Him. He knows those who are doing His will. God knows He's keeping track. Look at another one. Um, Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. And then i got to go to one in John that I really like. Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. However, at that time... When you did not know God, you were slaves of those who by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, listen, or rather be known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and worthless elementary things, elemental things, to which you desire to be enslaved all over? Now you came to know God and God know you. Now why in the world would you fall away? I'm telling you, there's no reasonable explanation for that. And that's why those people are in the roughest shape of all. I think about that often with people who are brethren who are unfaithful to the Lord. They're in worse shape of anyone that's ever existed. And maybe you and I at times have been there, right? When we weren't faithful. Oh, that's about us ignorant. And ridiculous of situation anyone can be. That's why I ask, who, what is your problem? You know God. As a matter of fact, you're known by Him. 
Why would you turn again to this foolish, ridiculous lifestyle or background that you left? Look at this. This is an analogy with sheep in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, um, I think it's verse 27 of John 10. He says, my sheep hear my voice. Who's his sheep? Us. This is just an analogy. We're not talking about real sheep. We're not talking about llamas, alpacas. We're talking about Christians. Okay? And here's what he says about them. He says, my sheep hear my voice. Listen to what it says. I know them. Does he know his sheep? I know them, and guess what they do? They follow everything else. They follow me. I always think about that. Oh, now i got to watch deviating from this too far. They follow me. Follow Jesus. Hmm. Well, if we had time, we'd go over to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 following. Jesus suffered to leave us an example that we might follow in his steps. Where's Jesus now? He's seated at the right hand. He's in heaven. If I follow him to where he's at, where are we going to be? In heaven. The path he left, was it always comfortable and easy going? But you want to get to the end, you got to follow him. You know, most people look at the top of a mountain from the bottom. Most people aren't willing to climb it to see what the view's like. Well, I can prove that point. We could go to some high elevation and say, now let's go to the top and see some. I'm not climbing up there. You're crazy. Some say, let's get it on. i got to see what that... You know, and those people who are used to seeing the top, I got to go see what it looks like. It's just, it's calling me, man. I got, it's kind of like I always tell people this on another, but the Redwood Forest, if you've only ever drove through it, you've never seen it. You got to get out of the car and walk in that thing and you look up. I got pictures of it looking up and it's longer than a football field to the top of that tree. I still got this picture on one of my laptops um, of Tammy standing, a tree had fallen down, and I got a picture of Tammy standing at one end of it. I'm taking the picture. You can barely see her. I call it my Where's Waldo picture. <laughs> but you can barely, it's, that tree's so big. I've got another one where I'm standing with my hands like this right against a tree, and you could take three of me with my arm, and the tree's still bigger than that, straight across it. But if you're just driving by in a car, there it's impressive, but it's not near as impressive when you... Oh, check this out. So you look at this and we think about how we have to, we follow him. We follow him. It takes getting out of always the air conditioner, the heater, the comfort, and it takes getting it and getting your hands dirty. We follow him. My sheep hear me. I know my sheep. And they follow me. The Lord knows those who are His. Now I think about another few verses. Um, and one of them that I think is interesting is in Acts 2 and verse 47. When it says the saved are added to the church by Jesus. How do you, you join the church? You ever heard it say join the church of your choice? Well you can do that but it will be wrong. We put on Christ in baptism for the forgiveness of our sins. And Acts 2.47, you become saved and Jesus adds you to the church. You think you remember the ones he adds? 
he remembers them. Matter of fact, just so you know, this is kind of, it's interesting uh, to me. Um, there's a reason I think he knows those who are his. Because they don't belong to Satan anymore. In Luke 10 and verse 20, we read this. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. That's what he tells these 70 that he sent out. But rejoice that your names are recorded in the census of the United States of America. That your names are recorded. They wrote them down. That your names are recorded in heaven. I want my name written in heaven. Don't worry that you can do even these miraculous things they do. That's whoopee, no big deal. Because a lot of people, well, if I could just do these miraculous things or if I could see these miraculous things, that's not the big deal. The big deal is you became a Christian and now your name is recorded in heaven. Does he know who there is? Yeah, he's got them recorded. Well, while we're on that point, Look at this one. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 and verse 3. And then we're going to make a few points from the book of Revelation. Philippians 4 and verse 3. Indeed, true companion, I ask, companion, I ask that you also to help these women who have shared in my struggle and caught for the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest, listen to this, of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. That's what's recorded in heaven. The book of life. What would it be like? Well, your name was recorded in the book of death. That's not a good one. The book of life. And we're talking about eternal life here, huh? Life indeed, life that's found in Christ. Your names are written in the book of life. That's what I'm telling you what. I want you to know these people, they're my fellow workers, and their names are written in the book of life. Does he know whose names are written there? He's got a book. He can look it up if he had to. He don't have to look it up. Names are written in the book of life. Now turn with me to Revelation. Some of these passages I'm going to hit really quick. Some of them I'll stop and make a few comments on. Revelation 3 and verse 5, he's writing to the church at Sardis. He tells them that there's a few people in verse 4 that have kept their garments unspotted, but the most of them are filthy. Isn't that terrible? you got a congregation that most of the brethren are filthy. That happens, doesn't it? Yeah. But in verse 5 he says, But he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not... Erase their name from the book of life. What's he saying about the other people? Their names are erased. So you can have your name recorded and yet it be erased. Now, I don't know the passage that you can use better to show once saved, always saved is ridiculous. Because your name can be recorded there in the book of life and it can be erased from the book of life. You know how I know so? Because the Lord told me so. It's right here in the book. This firm foundation of God stands. Your name can be written there, and your name can be erased from there. Wow. That's substantial. Now, over in Revelation 13, I'll hit these two verses real quick. Revelation 13 and verse 8, he says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose names has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. Has everybody's name been written there? 
Nope. You go on over here in chapter 17 and verse 80 says the same thing again. Um, a lot of this very much uh, figurative language, but the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come out of the abyss and go to destruction and those who dwell on the earth whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will wonder when they see the beast and he was and is not and well i tell you what how important's your name there those whose names aren't there are going to not know what's going on you know what because the people who know the gospel and accept the gospel and obey the gospel their names written there we know things they don't know when you take a figurative language like the book of revelation very hidden message for most people unless they were brethren One more. I'll come back to this one right before the end of our lesson also. But he says in Revelation 20 and verse 15, I'll mention it. At the end, we'll back up to about verse 12 or maybe even verse 11 and read through. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, does the Lord know those who belong to him? Because their name's written in the book of life. But anyone's name who is not written in the book of life, he will be thrown in the lake of fire. You know, I, I remember the day my name was written there. I remember when I came forward after a Sunday morning sermon and confessed the name of Jesus and was baptized for the forgiveness of sin. And Jesus added me to the church. And my name was written in the book of life. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth. There's been times in my life when my name was erased from that. And I had to confess and repent, and my name was rewritten. I just want to make sure my name stays in that book. He knows those who are his. Real quick, because I can't go on without hitting this one. So everyone whose name, everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wick. What does abstain mean? You know, it's kind of interesting. Um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, I'm not going to read all these today, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22, and also 1 Peter 2 and verse 11, the three other verses I know, at least in the New American Standard, that use the word abstain, all deal with sexual immorality. Now, there's things we're supposed to flee from, but those three we're to abstain from. It even says in... Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 21 and 22, we need to abstain from every appearance. Well, I'm not doing it. Well, it appeared. That's the appearance you're giving off. Well, we need to abstain from it. Abstain. Let me ask you this. Do I abstain from the consumption of alcoholic beverage if I only have one once in a while? What if I don't drink, but you come to my house and I got wine bottles sitting around? I've just had them forever. Is the appearance that I drink? Throw them stupid things out. He says abstain from. So we can't get in situations that make it appear that way. If you got to argue to prove that you're not doing it, you know you're in a bad situation. So he says we've got to abstain from those things. So it says we've got to, I, I think this passage here in 2 Timothy is interesting. Abstain from, here it is. Wickedness. What is wickedness? I tell you what, it's anything that isn't godliness. 
There's no middle of the road. You know, you've heard before, and I don't know who coined the phrase to start with, but you've heard before when people say, well, you know, they just kind of straddle the fence. I still like the guy, I don't know who's come up with it, who said, the problem with straddling the fence, the devil owns the fence. You know, let's say that this little stage area, it represents fellowship with God. Well, I can tell you if this stage represents fellowship with God, right here is the safest place to be. Right dead in the center of it. Woo! That's not so safe, is it? You can fall off there. Any of you ever fell down? You know, you can fall off easy, can't you? Some of you say, man, I don't have balance to do that. Well, especially if you don't have balance to do that, don't stand by the edge. You know, you look at that. This, why, if I was on the stage, well, I'll just stand here in the middle. That's the safest place. Now, you say, well, that's no big deal. Well, let's move this stage up 80 feet in the air. Now, how close to the edge you want to get? Well, you know, it's as easy to stand here 80 feet in the air. No, it's not. That's because you're scared of heights. It's just a safe 80. But you know what? The fall will hurt. That's not very far. But 80 feet. So I'll just stay right here. You guys just go all out the edge you want. I'm staying how come we grasp that, but we don't grasp that in our fellowship with God? Stay dead in the center. Nothing questionable. Abstain from those things. So turn back real quick, and we'll wrap this up. Back over to uh, Revelation chapter 20. I just want to read this context, and the lesson's yours. We're going to start a little earlier than we did. <clears throat> but Revelation chapter 20. Listen to these words, starting at verse 11. John has given this great vision into heaven. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. Can you hide from God? And I saw the dead. That's a bad thing. The great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is a book of life. The first books is these books. If you lived before the death, burial, and resurrection, you get the first 39. If you live after that in the establishment of the church, you get the last 27. So these books, and there was another book opened, and this other book's the book of life that your name has to be written in, right? And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books. I'm going to be judged by this, and then I want to know what the rules are. According to their deeds, not according to just their thoughts. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's here's where he left a while. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. We're going to be judged by this book. And this book is the only thing that has the instructions of how to get your name written there and how to keep your name written there and how to get it back there once it's been erased. We're going to sing an invitation song and we want you to know it's God's invitation. And God knows right now, each and every one of us, if we're His or not. Make sure you don't leave here not being sure that He knows you belong to Him.
If we can help you, please come as we stand and sing.